following message is from North Place Church. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to take your word to the sixth chapter of Matthew, and then I'll be going to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians, excuse me, the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. I got that wrong in the first service. I need to correct it. It was a typo. It's actually the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. So uh, go with me there, Matthew 6 and Ephesians chapter 2. The series that we started last week, The God First Life, is an excellent resource for those of you who are brand new to your Christian faith or those of you who are re-engaging your faith after being away from it for a period of time. And it's also an excellent reminder to the rest of us who grew up around this or have been in it for a number of years that these are some foundational principles that are too easily forgotten that we need to re-engage with. We, we're framing our conversation around four main ideas, four ideas that come from Stovall Weems' book entitled The God First Life, Uncomplicate Your Life God's Way. So today and over the next couple of weeks, I want to interweave some of Stovall's insights from the book along with some of my own thoughts and ideas. And, and my goal is to attempt to give you some practical biblical insight on how to structure your life around God's ways God's priorities, and God's kingdom order. Here are those four main ideas. When you you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ and you come into a relationship with Jesus, this is what you get. You get a new priority, you get a new family, you get a new life, and you get a new freedom. Those are the four bookends or guides for the conversation that we're going to have. Last week, we jumped into the series talking about our new priority, talking about doing life God's way. When you live your life structured around God's order, when you live your life structured around His priorities, His blessings flow. When you align your life around God's ways, life functioned as it was meant to function. The entire series today and every week for that matter is anchored in one of Jesus's most famous statements in his most famous sermon he ever preached. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6:33 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, let's break that down for a moment and talk about the new priority, the new family, the new life and the new freedom. When you read the word seek first, but seek First, that, 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 that command is a command that there's going to be a new priority list in your life. Jesus is talking to people who are either in relationship with him or considering coming to the Father through him. And he is telling them, when you make a decision to follow me, you're going to get a new priority. Seek first. There's going to be a new order in the way that you do things, a new list of priorities. But then he says, seek first, beyond the priority, the kingdom of God. What you're seeking is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his dominion, his rule, his power, his authority. There is a whole new system of doing things that is different than the way you have been doing things. God's system and God's ways are completely different than the world's system and the world's ways. So seek first his kingdom. Because when you come under God's dominion, his lordship, when you come into his kingdom, you enter into the family, the kingdom family of God. So when you seek first the kingdom, you are seeking a new family. And then it says, 
and his righteousness. So seek his righteousness. When you're seeking the righteousness of God, you're seeking the new life that is promised in Christ Jesus. Not your own righteousness, not any kind of worldly righteousness, but a righteousness that is given to you by God. The, the, the Spirit of Christ comes and lives in you the moment you become a Christ follower and the Spirit of Christ begins to live through you. New choices are made, new decisions are made. Your whole life begins to transform when you seek his righteousness, and then finally, all these other things will be given to you. There is a new freedom that comes, a new priority, seek first, a new family, seek first the kingdom of God, a new life, seek his righteousness, and a new freedom. All these things will be added unto you. Today, I want us to spend our time talking about the new family. I want us to talk about the privilege, the amazing privilege of being adopted into God's family. Listen to how Paul uh, describes that adoption process for us into the family of God in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Now, I'm going to read verse 13 and verse 19, and I skip for, for a reason. This is, these are two verses that are a part of a long conversation. It was originally thought by some that the Messiah was coming only to redeem Jews, okay? And so that when the Messiah come, he was a Jewish Messiah. This message of salvation was for a Jewish faith, a Jewish religion. Jesus shattered that misconception, and Paul continued to shatter that misconception, and he's writing about that misconception in Ephesians chapter 2, and he's announcing some really good news to non-Jews, that's who Gentiles are, non-Jews, that this message of salvation is for all peoples, and you can be brought near into relationship with the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he, so he expresses that in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And for the next few verses, he goes on and talks about the Jew and Gentile thing. And then in verse 19, he says, consequently, because you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So we were far away. We have been brought near and made members of his household. In other words, God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has adopted us into his family. Adoption, the word adoption, the concept of adoption, is a powerful theological principle that weaves its way through the entirety of the New Testament. Adoption, fostering, caring for the orphan have been major words that have carried heavy weight around North Place Church over the last several months. January the 18th, almost exactly one year ago, we started a partnership between Arrow Family Ministries and North Place Church. We decided that we were going to launch a ministry called Orphan Care, that we were going to provide for people who felt called to foster or foster and eventually adopt. We wanted to create a pathway to come along beside them to help take the, the overwhelming element of that away. So we brought in a Christian agency that worked through the church to help get these families licensed through the state of Texas to become foster parents or eventually become adoptive parents. And in the last year, uh, we have uh, 10 families that have pursued their foster to adopt or fostering license through the state of Texas. Uh, to, to, uh, the goal is to love and invest in the lives of vulnerable children. Two of those families have children in their home uh, as, as foster parents. One family has two children in their home that they are going through the process of uh, foster to adopt. 
the other seven families are in the process of attempting to finish the rigorous process of the license requirement. In addition to helping people get licensed, we knew that not everybody's going to be called to adopt, not everybody's going to be called to be a foster parent, but according to the word, we all have a responsibility to the widow and the orphan. That is true and undefiled religion, the scripture says. And so for those that felt the burden on their heart to be involved some way, even if they weren't going to foster or adopt, there was what we call wraparound care. In other words, we're going to come along as families who may not be adopting or, or having children actually in our home. We're not accepting that challenge. But what we are accepting is coming alongside the families who have children in their home and helping resource them financially, with furniture, with diapers, with all the things that are necessary so they're not taking on this new challenge all by themselves. And we had a hundred different individuals that signed up to say, yes, we want to be a part of that wraparound team to support these families. One of our missionaries that we sent out went through a private adoption, adopted a newborn baby. One of our North Place families went through a private adoption, adopted a newborn baby. And our wraparound team has been able to come along and provide resources for those families with their new adoptive family members. We knew that there were going to need to be a place of encouragement for them. And so uh, Ms. Crystal Lichty, who leads our orphan care ministry, created a, a small group underneath orphan care so that they can come together on a weekly basis. The families, the support team, they can pray, they can figure out what the needs are and respond to them. But here's what I love as well. We are a church that has a culture for forgotten people in forgotten places. And a lot of people don't realize that when a kid that's gotten older in the system that never got adopted, the older you get, the less likely you are to get adopted. And so when, when this child didn't get adopted, when they turn 18 years old, they age out of the system. And we have a team of people that are in our age out program as a part of orphan care who believe God has called them to serve the students that have been in the system fostered here and there, different families, never got adopted. Now they're 18. They're no longer CPS's responsibility. They have no family, no relational connections, but there are people in our church that say, we can't take care of all of them, but we're going to establish with relationships with the ones that we can to be with and involved in the lives of these students who have aged out of the system. Uh, on February the 1st and on February the 8th, we're going to have a group connect in our lobby. All of our small groups that we're promoting are going to be represented there. There'll be various groups that you can connect and grow with. One of those booths will be set up, will be a partnership between Arrow Family Ministries and North Place Church. For those of you in this room that say, you know what, we need to begin that process of becoming foster parents, or we need to begin that process to become licensed and order adopt, or I want to be a part of that wraparound team you spoke about, Pastor. On February the 1st and February the 8th, you can go to the booth and you can be a part of this family, part of these people that help connect. I believe adoption, uh, it, there's no theological principle that better illustrates what God has done for all of us, and there is nothing deeper to the heart of God than caring for the orphan and the widow, this idea of adoption and fostering. And so I, we have learned a lot in the last year as we have walked with these families, many of us new to this journey, but here's what we've learned. When all the papers are signed and the child's new family can legally possess them, their family, their place in that family, their position in that family is safe and secure, we would be lying to you if we didn't acknowledge that there is a tremendously challenging period of time of adjustment for that child, for those siblings, and for those parents. Because there is a big difference between position and function. 
The child's position with his new family or her new family is legally secure, but they may struggle to function relationally in that new family. Over time, with love and acceptance being given to them by their new parents, with love and acceptance given to them by their new siblings, while they are functioning in their, while they in their position, over time with love and acceptance from their family members, they will grow relationally. They will learn to function as a member of their family and eventually they will take on the characteristics of their new family. The same is true with us. If you're a Christ follower, you've been adopted into God's family. You've been brought near. You were a stranger and a foreigner, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Your position through the blood of Christ is settled, okay? Your position is there through the work of Jesus Christ. But sometimes those who come, whose position is settled because of the grace and mercy of God, they do not function right away as an effective family member in the body of Christ because position and function are different. Over time, with the love and acceptance of the new family, the faith family, the church, people begin to grow and they take on the characteristics of God's family. They begin to function from their position. Now, I want to talk about this idea of position for a moment, position in Christ. Over the course of my life, I've watched the pendulum swing from one extreme to the other. Some of you grew up in an environment of extreme eternal security, where in that environment, someone wrongly assumed that because their position in Christ was eternally secure, that because now once they had it secured, everything with God for eternity... They could just go on living their life, and that's what they should do, just like they did before Christ, this life of sin and all the destructive bad habits that go with it. And the attitude with some was like this, I'm going to live it up, why not, enjoy life to the fullest, I'm eternally secure, right? And so that was the error of that extreme. But I grew up on the other extreme. I grew up in an environment of extreme eternal insecurity. The theology I grew up in taught me that the grace of God was so fragile, the love of God was so fragile, that one slip up on my part would ruin it all. And I lived with this constant worry that I wasn't really saved, that I wasn't good enough. And to be honest, I felt like I would never be perfect enough for long enough to be able to make it to heaven. I thought that God's acceptance of me, that my position in Christ, that my position in God's family was completely up to me and my performance. That is the error of the other extreme, and there is a biblical balance between the two. In the error of my eternal insecurity background, there were days when I dotted all the religious I's and I crossed all the religious T's. I lived righteously and holy and upright. I felt like I had earned the right to approach God, so I didn't feel guilty. I came with confidence to church. I I worshiped with confidence. I prayed with confidence. I read my Bible with confidence. But there were days when I blew it miserably. I sinned terribly. And because of the guilt associated with, 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 with feeling like I had betrayed God's approval, I avoided Him. I avoided prayer. I avoided the word, I avoided church, but when I came, I came with a guilty conscience. Because I had this idea that my position in Christ, that my place in the family was based on my performance. But the Bible teaches me that my position in Christ is based on what Jesus did, 
not on what I do. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 says this, But when this priest, it's a reference to Jesus functioning as our high priest, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Your faith in his finished work at the cross secures your position in him. You don't have to live every day wondering whether or not you're his son or his daughter. If you find yourself in a relationship with God where your spiritual passion flows with the ups and the downs of your ability to live righteous, you're placing more faith in your self-effort than you are in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Kids that have been adopted will never feel at home until they feel like that family is their forever family. When they live with the insecurity that this one is going to last six months and then it's going to be gone tomorrow, they don't connect, their relationships don't grow roots, and there's no lasting intimacy. But when you learn as a child of God to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, when you know that what He has done has legally secured your position in His family, that's when real intimacy begins. But once you're secure... In your position in his family, you must know you have an important function that has to be fulfilled. It's one thing to become a member of a championship team. It's altogether another thing to suit up and play for a championship team. To live the God-first life, you have to rest in your position, but you also have to engage your new function of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, my kids are older now, but one of the most fun times in my life with them as a a young parent was when they all started playing t-ball. You know, I mean, when you got three and four-year-old kids on a field, it is hard to keep their minds engaged in what is supposed to be happening. And the joy, uh, uh, I didn't enjoy it much now. Uh, then, as I do now, thinking back, I was nervous because, uh, you know, my sons were supposed to be the best, you know. They're three and four years old and they're supposed to be all-stars. But, but it, so it was somewhat embarrassing, but now I, I've chilled out a little bit to know that I can laugh at it. I can remember Caden, my oldest son, um, was the, he's the first one to ever play organized sports. He's playing t-ball at three and four years old, and, and he had a great arm. He could catch for his age, and so when he was in the infield, all was good. But when they stuck him in the outfield to be fair and rotate everybody through the key positions, and they stuck him out there, um, he's, he's just so far away from the action. You know, that he couldn't stay focused. Um, and, and it was hunting season as well. And we had been out shooting the guns together. And, and so I noticed the ball got hit right to him. And I'm thinking, he's going to make a play. He's got a strong arm. He's going to throw it out. And he didn't even see the ball roll by him because birds were flying by. And he was going, pow, 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 pow. And he, I mean, kids ran all the way from second base past him and got the ball and ran all the way home to try to get that guy out at home. And he's still going, Pow! Pow, pow, pow. I mean, they chase butterflies. They go after crickets and rabbits. They play in the dirt. I mean, if you, you know what I'm talking about, those of you young parents. It's the funniest thing in the world to watch. Now, if you went to a game, uh, in, in, you know, a major league baseball game, 
uh, and Derek Jeter or Albert Pujols or Bryce Harper was in the field and the ball get, and they're going, pow, 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 pow. And they're chasing butterflies and going at me. It would go from funny to insane, all right? We, you, don't, you expect grown-ups to be grown-ups. You expect adults to be adults. Kids get a ribbon for just showing up. Professional athletes have a function that they are expected to fulfill. Being a part of God's family involves place, position, and function. God gives us a position in His family, but He gives us a position because we have a role to play in the family. We gain our place in God's kingdom by our faith in Jesus Christ. But we seek His kingdom first by fulfilling our function in His family. This is where a lot of believers disconnect. They don't understand that while position gets them on the team, function gets them in the game. Belonging comes first, but now it's time to play ball. Here's another example. I have two positions. I'm a husband and a father. These words, husband and father, both identify my place in my family and my function in my family. I have a marriage certificate and my kids' birth certificate that prove my positions as husband and father. But that doesn't mean a whole lot if I don't fulfill the function of being a husband and being a father within the context of my family. Imagine on the day that Haley and I got married, if I walked to the altar with her and I said, I do, I made my vows, walked back down the aisle alone, got in my truck and drove off and said, okay, we're married now, so I guess I'll check back in on Christmas and Easter and if my mom makes me feel guilty, I'll come on Mother's Day and if I start feeling guilty or if I don't have anything else better to do, I'll stop in and say hello, see you later. Any woman in her right mind, would stop that kind of marriage before it ever got started. The marriage license and the wedding vows secure my position as a husband and a father. That position as a husband, that marriage certificate, secures my position. And that position gives me access to the benefits of being married to Haley. But it doesn't fulfill my commitment to her. My commitment to her is not expressed in my position as her husband. My commitment to her is expressed when I fulfill my responsibility of functioning as her husband. Think of it like this. Position gives us access, but function gives us impact. I have the right to be in relationship because of position, but I'm not fulfilling the responsibility until I function with the responsibility my position calls me to. Position and function are intertwined. We cannot function without position. You can't do the things that God's called you to do without being his son or daughter. But our function, the authority of our function flows from our position. Since Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and your King, the primary function of your life is to be a part of His family. That's where your functions work out. Function and position are critical to experiencing the God-first life. Now, one of, one of my joys is um, when, I, when I go around town and I just do life. You know, I'll go to a coffee shop and somebody will be fixing a coffee and, and they'll hand it to me at one of these shops and they'll say, Hey, you're Pastor Brian. I go, I go to North Place Church, or I'll be at a ball field, or, or I was at a hotel the other day, was speaking at one of the local hotels, and one of the attendants at the hotel that was uh, so well, part of the hospitality team taking care of us in an amazing way, 
came and said, hey, pastor, I go to, I go to North Place Church. I used to, I used to get, feel really guilty about that because I, I wanted to, to want to know everybody. And I was embarrassed when people would come to me and tell them that I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to know everybody. And, and as the church began to grow, I, I shook off that guilt and that condemnation knowing that's not always possible. So instead of seeing those as negative moments, I turned them into positive moments. And I stop a moment when, when I hear that and I start getting involved in their life. This is a moment for God to weave the fabric of their life into mine. And I ask, what's your story? You know, how'd you come to faith? Or sometimes I find out they haven't come to faith yet. They're attending North Place seeking or uh, how long have you been there? And, and, and we tell this story. But here's the way it goes all too often. I will run into somebody and say, you're Pastor Brian. Yeah, you Pastor North Place Church. Yes. So I go there. Well, I've gone there a few times. Well, I don't really go anymore. And, 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 and the conversation digresses, and, uh, and, and, and they, they just start opening up, um, and, and sometimes it's legitimate reasons. I mean, I'll, I'll ask them, so are you going anywhere? And sometimes they say yes, because uh, there are times when the ministries or the vision of North Place don't align just right with their life. And, and I let them know that's okay. We, we have a very narrow vision. We, we know what God's called us to do. We're doing, we're doing less, better. And because of that, our vision will naturally attract those who, who, are, who are, are aligned with it. And it will repel those who don't. And we're okay with that. And we want you to know, uh, and I, when I'm telling these people, we want you to know it's okay. It's okay if, if it didn't work and, and you're somewhere else. We're okay with that. We want you to be okay with that. But a lot of times, they're not going anywhere else. You know, too often, the conversation is, well, and then they, they open up, and they spill their guts, and, and it's, some, it's issues with education, or dysfunction in the family, or it's a job situation, or a health situation, and, and they start talking about how all these things were going on, and, and, and it kind of snuffed out their spiritual fire, and they really didn't have time to go to church, and, 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 but, but they're going to get back, you know, at Christmas or Easter, and try to make a fresh start, and, and that happens all too often. And I will always challenge them around the concept of putting God first in your life. Life will function as it's meant to function when it's ordered the way God intended for it to be ordered. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And we have that conversation and I challenge them. On a rare occasion, I will get the unique privilege of meeting somebody at an altar or bumping into them in the lobby and they will say, Hey, you remember when we talked at Nile at Best Buy or you remember when we talked for a few minutes in Kroger? I remember what you said. You know what? And, and, and Pastor, we've been in church the last six weeks because we made a very difficult decision to reorder our life. And I want to thank you for having that honest conversation with me. I had one of those conversations last weekend. I walked out to the VIP uh, booth after service, a new family back there. I didn't know them. I started engaging them in conversation. And it was a powerful moment for me. It was a powerful moment for North Place Church. Because the family looked at us and said, we've been coming to church here for a matter of a few weeks, a few months, and, and um, our, our marriage was on the verge of, of, of disaster. We had an, um, the husband said, I had an affluent job, but it caused me to be away from home so much to provide the affluence that it took a toll on my marriage, took a toll on my ability to be a father. We, we were about to, to split up, and as a last-ditch effort, we decided to come to church. We felt like we, we had to give it one chance because all of this was about to evaporate. And we've been coming reluctantly, reluctantly with each other, uh, hesitant, but yet over the last several weeks, God is softening our hearts, He's doing something in our lives, and in the process, here's the seek first part of their testimony. Over the process, I made a decision, I couldn't be the husband and the father that I wanted to be uh, working this job, and it was going to cost us some affluence. 
So we don't live in that house anymore. And over the last few weeks, we've gotten rid of all those cars. We live in a very humble place and we drive very humble vehicles compared to the past because I now have a very humble job. But my job allows me to be a father and I'm working on learning to be a husband. And his eyes teared up, looked across the room or this conversation and he said, we didn't trust each other a few weeks ago. And we're working on it right now. Pastor, as soon as service is over, we're going to meet with one of the staff members here at North Place to work through marital counseling. And we've come a long way in a matter of few weeks. And I believe it is because they are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And a lot of these other things are happening in their life. God's order invokes God's blessing. And it's not easy. This man and his family are making difficult decisions to prioritize their life around what matters most but it's reaping dividends and I believe he's right I believe their marriage is going to be saved because they understand and they now are putting God first in their life throughout the Bible the church is described in a lot of different ways you have the images of a family the church is described as a family the church is described as a house the church is described as a body And each of those images of the church is meant to convey something unique about what it means to be in relationship with the family of God. When the church is referred to as a family, it speaks of community and belonging. When the church is referred to as a body, it speaks of health and function. When the church is referred to as a house in Scripture, it speaks of design, pattern, and purpose. But what every one of those images convey is that there are many parts in a family, in a body, in a house that are working together in unity to make one thing function right. But there is another image that is often used to convey a a, a family or a body or house, the local church, and that is the image of a garden. And there's no better picture of the benefits of being planted in God's local garden, His local church, outside of Psalm 92. Look there with me in verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. The righteous in Psalm 92 are compared to palm trees and the cedars of Lebanon. And when you and I read about these kind of trees, we don't really get the impact the writer is trying to make, but the ancient reader did. These trees conveyed a specific imagery to them because both of these types of trees were beautiful, desirable, and highly prized. Palm trees were the most common trees in ancient Palestine. Not only were they beautiful, various aspects of the palm tree were used in everyday life. The fruit of the palm was a staple in their diet. The leaves of the palm were woven into baskets and used to make fences. The juice made a common fruit, uh, known, a common drink known as arak. The fibers that held the palm fronds together were used, they were separated and they were woven together to make ropes. Palm trees speak, when he refers to palm trees in this verse, he's speaking of the usefulness and the fruitfulness. The righteous will flourish. They will become useful and fruitful. And then he said, the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon grow in the snow, in the high places. 
They're resistant to disease and decay. They are durable. They are long-lived. They are enormous in size. They're a part of the evergreen family, and they put off a beautiful, fresh aroma. When the writer refers to the cedar of Lebanon, he speaks of majesty, stability, durability, and incorruptibility. So the righteous will flourish like a palm. The righteous will flourish and be useful and fruitful. Uh, They will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. They will be majestic, stable, durable, and incorruptible. That's what it means to flourish in the context of Psalm 92. Who wouldn't want those words to be a description of their life? Useful, fruitful, stable, durable, and incorruptible. Everybody wants to flourish in this life. But you have to understand, before we can flourish, we have to be planted. you got to know that. The whole context of this verse is the flourishing happens as a result of the planting. Look at Psalm 92, 13 again. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Everybody wants to flourish, but not enough people want to plant. Now, saying that they don't want to plant doesn't mean that they don't want to be used by God. Everybody wants to be used by God in some way to change the world. I mean, we take our gifts test. We seek out our purpose. We look for ways to use our gifts and talents. We start blogs and nonprofits and new programs and ministries. We chase new careers and new networks of relationships. And we launch new churches, all with the hopes of God using us. We will do anything for God to use us except stay planted. The local church is the soil necessary for your life to flourish. It's the foundation of a vibrant, growing, healthy spiritual life. I know. I know that there are some of you in this room that it is, it's against every fiber in your being to be here today because all the junk that happened in your life by being a part of a church this church or some other church, and so you're, you're, you're doing, we're lucky you just showed up today. The sad reality is there are a lot of people who aren't here today because of the dysfunction that happened in relationship with churches in the past. A lot of hurt was created. And people get this idea, you know, they, they have this idea that, that, that going to church is, is I'm going to be in relationship with, with people who have their act together. I've got news for you. The people I pastor, we don't all have our act together. The pastor that pastors this church doesn't always have his act together. My position in Christ is secure. Your position in Christ is secure if Jesus is the Lord of your life. But just because our position is secure does not mean we know how to function completely in what it means as a son or daughter of God. And so this is a journey of imperfect people trying to figure out what it means to live in our function as sons and daughters of God. And while we're learning... There is going to be a level of dysfunction in our relationships. Listen, when dirt and divinity collide, there is going to be dust. All right? When dirt and divinity collide, there is going to be dust. So many people don't come to church because the last time they came... They got involved in a dust storm in dysfunctional relationships, and they said, I'm done. I'm done. They, they, they love the divinity. They were wired to need the dirt of human relationship. But when the dust started flying, they said, 
I'm out. All right? I, I, I've got, let, me, let me give you an illustration. I travel a lot. When I was young, I used to say, I get to travel. And the older I get, I say, I have to travel. I don't know, something, something changes. You get older, you like being at home. And so I, I still travel a lot. I go to the airport a lot. About one out of every three trips to the airport, something, uh, you know, something is difficult in travel plans. I mean, uh, you know, you just, something happens at the TSA area where I'm going through security, um, or something happens that my bag is lost, or um, a, a flight is canceled and I miss a speaking engagement, or something happens probably one out of every three trips, and, and, and I, I don't walk out of the airport saying, I will never fly again, ever. I will never get on another airplane again. I will never go to the other side of the globe for missions again. I will never use the convenience of an airplane again to get me to a speaking engagement because of that clerk, because of that TSA agent, because of that canceled flight. Yes, I'm disappointed. Yes, I don't like the dust that happens when I travel. But the benefits of the travel outweigh the complications that I know I'm going to have to engage to be a part of the travel process. So I live with the dysfunction of our travel system because I know I want to be safe. I live with the dysfunction of the travel system because it still, with all of its issues, gets me there quicker than if I was trying to go by car. So I deal with the dysfunction of travel because the benefits outweigh the trouble. Somewhere along the way, when the dust starts flying in church, somebody is going to have to say, I'm going to flourish like a tree planted. I'm not going to move just because the dust starts flying and dysfunction becomes evident. If you're new to North Place Church, let me tell you, you don't have to peel back many layers. We will announce this. Dysfunction is present. I'm going to announce it today. But somewhere along the way, when dirt and divinity collide, that's when healing happens. And when dirt and divinity collide, that's when sins are canceled. And when dirt and divinity collide, that's when marriages are restored. And dirt and divinity collide, that's when miracles happen. And somewhere along the way, the reality is God picked a broken means in order to convey His awesome and amazing message. He said in Ephesians 3.10, through the church. Why? He didn't pick some other way, but He said through the church. So in the middle middle of this dysfunction, people with secure positions, but working on learning how to function as a part of the family member, when divinity and dirt collide, there's going to be dust. But the benefits of being present when dirt and divinity collide outweigh all of the dangers of when the dust starts flying. I'll put up with the dust in order to be present when divinity decides to hang out with dirt. And that's what it means to be in relationship with the local church to be planted in the house of the Lord they will flourish in the courts of our God we have to make a decision to outweigh the benefits outweigh the dust it's not a matter of if you will get in a dust storm in relationships when you follow Christ it's just a matter of when you will there are going to be dust storms in your family there are going to be dust storms at church. There are going to be dust storms at everywhere. And you just have to know when divinity and dirt collide, dust happens. But the benefits of that collision far outweigh the detriment of the dust. When you came in today, um, we asked our greeter team to 
hand you communion elements. And if you have them, I want you to, to look for them today, if you will. And if you didn't get them on the way in, some of them are going to walk the aisles and serve those of you that didn't get them. And I want you to know that we practice an open communion here. What that means is we don't expect or require you to be a member of this church. All that we ask, we believe the Bible asks, requires that you be a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower and you want to be a part of the family of God, then I challenge you, take the communion element when it comes by. You can, in this moment, your position in Christ, they're just going to walk around and, and if you need one of these, get their attention and let them hand them to you. And while they're making sure you, everybody that has one wants one. If you, if you want a Christ follower and you walked in and you want to be, get one of these when they go by. Because in this moment, you can make a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You can confess with your mouth that He is Lord. You can believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And in a moment, your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary can secure your position in the family of God. You can be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a stranger and a foreigner, but in a moment, a prayer of faith placed upon the work of Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be a part of the household. And the reason we give you that opportunity now is because this in the church for 2,000 years is what the family does. The last supper that Jesus had together has become our family meal. And so for all of the things this meal represents, it represents family. I could talk to you about the theology of the bread and the cup. The bread is a symbol of His broken body, and it was broken so that we could be made whole. The cup is a symbol of his shed blood. It's the symbol of what brought us as strangers and foreigners near. These elements sealed our adoption certificates into the family. These are the symbols of our new family. At the Last Supper, Jesus gathered the men around him and he knew he was about to leave and he left them some last instructions. And one of the last instructions it says, When you get together, I want you to take bread. And I want you to take the cup. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to do this in remembrance of this conversation. And every time you come to the table and you take the bread and you drink the cup, you are numbering yourself in that number. I just got an update today that extremists are attacking uh, some of our sister churches in Nigeria. Four of the churches that we're in relationship with were burned. One pastor's home was destroyed. When I, when, I, when I take the cup today, take the bread and the cup, I am numbering myself with those believers and my heart extends to them today in prayer because we're in a family. I don't know their name. I just know they're in my family. I, uh, when, I, when, I, when I take the bread and the cup, I'm marking my position and my function because of his brokenness, because of his shed blood, I have access. My position is about my access. I have access into his family because of his shed blood and his broken body. When he died, the veil that separated man from the Holy of Holies was rent. And now man has access because of our position. We're sons and daughters of the living God. My kids don't have to ask if they can come in my office. They don't even have to knock. They can barge in because my kids have access. You are a child of God. These symbols mean you have access. But they also speak to your function. Because of his broken body, I'm whole. 
Because of his shed blood, I'm one of his own. With these things means empowered. We sang it as a kid. There's power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. The Spirit of Christ came into my life and changed me. And the empowering Spirit of Christ living in me now enables me to function in what it means to be a son or daughter of God. Today, when you take the cup, when you take the bread, you're saying, I'm one of them. Yeah, I realize that there is dirt here. And when divinity collides with dirt, it gets dusty. It's not perfect. I get that. I know that. It's been that way for 2,000 years. You want to you see dysfunction? Read church history. And yet in spite of all the dysfunction, the grace of God has marched it forward. And he'll march this one forward. When you take this, you're not, you're not just numbering yourself a North Place church. You're numbering yourself with the global church that professes Jesus as Lord of their life. Those Nigerian believers and people, believers all around the world, you say, I'm, I'm with them. I belong to that family. But those of you that belong to this one, you're, you're, you're showing your solidarity to this local tribe of the global church. So Father, I pray today that you will bless the bread, that you will bless the cup. Today as men and women receive this bread, so many of our own lives today represent fractured and broken relationships. God, instead of dust, there are sparks flying. And we need healing touch in those relationships between parents and children, spouses, co-workers, church friends. Today, as we receive communion today, would we be reminded that through your broken body, all wholeness is possible, even in relationships. So today, Lord, we take the bread in faith. Would you receive the bread today, please? Thank you, Father. Father, we hold the cup in our hands and in it is a symbol. It's colored intentionally to symbolize your crimson blood that brought us near. I was a stranger and a foreigner, but now I'm a member of the household. Father, let me rest in my position today, but walk in my function as a son of God, as a husband and a father, empowered by the Spirit of Christ. Today, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to touch every man and woman in this room as they receive by faith what is provided for them through the blood of Christ. When I take this cup, I number myself with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I number myself with my persecuted brothers in Nigeria and around the world. Yes, I'm a part of a small tribe of believers here at North Place Church, but we are many globally. And today, I number myself with them because you gave me a new priority and you gave me a new family, and I'm grateful for that. Today we take the cup in faith as a member of your household. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you receive the cup? Thank you, Jesus. Can I say this with you today to you? I'll often write in an email and I say this, and I'm not saying this cliche. I am honored to be on the journey with you. 
I have something really on my heart. It extends from this moment that I want to challenge you with and encourage you to pray about before we leave. And so when we stand, I don't, I don't want you to think it's a, it's a, it's a dismissal, all right? I, I really, when we stand, I want to ask the prayer team to come and make themselves available for prayer. But I want, I, I want two things I want to address with you pastorally. I want to pray today, and I want us to be praying about them all week long. So would you stand with me, and pastors, or, or, or um, prayer team, would you come and make yourself available today to pray? As they come to serve you, let me just say this. I was born on January 22nd, 1974. That means this coming week, in about four days, I'll turn 41. That wasn't a big deal to me until I was watching television the other day and I was doing something else and an AARP commercial came on. That's never been relevant to me, ever. <laughs> and they mentioned something about every adult 50 and over and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, holy cow, that's nine years away. I can be an AARP. And it was a just depressing moment for me in my life. January 22nd, my birthday being that day, has forever linked to me with January 22nd, 1973. It was the passing of Roe v. Wade. This week, because of the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, this is, is National Right to Life Week, and churches all over America are praying about this. And I want you to know right away, please understand, we are less politically engaged here, and what I mean by that, picking sides and hooping and holler about a candidate, probably than most churches you'll ever go to. This is not a political thing for me. I intentionally stay politically, un- I have my own strong political opinions. But I try to keep those from engaging people with the gospel. Okay? This is not a political issue for me. It's a theological issue for me. The Bible says that we were conceived in our mother's womb. And we believe that scripture teaches us that life starts at conception. We have a heart for forgotten people in forgotten places. And this week reminds us to defend the ones who can't defend themselves. And those are the unborn. And I'm going to ask you, I have often thought if my mother had exercised her legal right at that moment, I turned, I was born a year after she had the right. And, and it connects me one year later. I just, I've thought about it a lot. And I just want you to join and pray with me today. Pray with me that God would protect the unborn. And I want you to pray with me that God would heal the broken heart of women who are living post-abortion. I can't tell you how many women we attempt to minister to who come to faith in Christ and then and as a part of their healing and growing process, they're dealing with this issue. And there is grace for that. If you're under the sound of my voice today and you're dealing with that trauma, there is grace for you. There is grace for you. And you need to know that. There is a loving embrace from the Father who reaches out to you. But for moving forward, I want you to join with me and pray for the unborn. Here's another issue I want you to pray with me about. Tomorrow we honor uh, a civil rights legend, a pastor, an educator, a leader who gave his life for a cause of elevating the oppressed. I believe that's a biblical idea. That's not a political idea. Justice, standing for the oppressed, is a biblical idea. Today I want to encourage you, you know, as a, as a uh, southern white male... I have um, a unique perspective. I pastored before here in a 
95% African-American community with a predominantly African-American church and loving on those people and doing life with those people. I have a different perspective than most um, young, uh, young southern white males. And to me, this is not a race issue. This is not a, a political issue. It's a theological issue. I believe that when you become a member of the family of God, there is something that happens that transcends your culture, that transcends your ethnicity, that transcends your tribe. The blood of Jesus, the Bible says, has brought strangers and foreigners near from every kingdom, every tribe, every nation, and every people group on the planet Earth. I love the fact that my children have grown up in an environment where they see less color than what I saw growing up. I love the fact that there are relationships in my life with black and Latino and various ethnic groups that are brothers in Christ to me that are closer to me than some of my own blood white relatives. I believe that's what it means to be a f- part of the family of faith. I pray every day, God, will you make this church look like heaven? And I want you to know, I am thrilled as people of color begin to come into and become a part of and assimilate into the leadership of North Place Church. I'm not dumb. I know that when cultures collide, there's going to be more dust. I get that. But I'm willing to deal with the dust because of the benefit of having a church that looks like heaven where we worship together under a family name that is greater than any earthly name, the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to pray. I believe Dr. King's heart would be grieved today if um, uh, we've come so far, and yet recently it looks as if we've made so many setbacks. And so I want you to pray with me today. I want you to pray for, for, for reconciliation among the races. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't believe there's a political answer to that. I don't believe there's a candidate we're going to put in office or a party we're going to put in office or a political program that we're going to start is going to bring racial reconciliation. I believe a manifestation of the presence of God among the people of God is the hope for this nation, hope for racial reconciliation, the hope of the unborn. So for all those that have gone before us in the fight for, 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 for life and, and for Dr. King and who has, who has talked about again and again about the dignity of all life, And us today talking about what it means to be family. I want to pray. And I want to invite you all this week to pray with me. Today, Lord, I ask you to let North Place Church be a place that stands for justice. Biblical justice. That stands for the oppressed. No matter what color they are. No matter what their fight is. That this becomes an oasis in the desert of chaos. But Lord, this is not a southern white church, but a church that represents every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Father, will you let our heart be conveyed here? I I can't change the color of my skin to adapt to people. Lord, nor do I want to. This is who I am, and I'm grateful for who I am. But today, my heart... My love language transcends my English language. It transcends the color of my skin because I have a biblical understanding of what it means to be in your family. And I want that culture to extend into this church. Today, we fight for forgotten people and forgotten places. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for mercy. And we ask you to help us to walk as a family of faith. 
that you would come into our life as white and black and Latino and Asian and representatives from various nations of the world and we would live and breathe as a family, as a household, as a body, as a garden, as a church and that as we walk and leave we would show a revolutionary alternative to the friction that is in our world. God, would you let our lives be an answer to the chaos and the division than is in our culture. Because you came to be the mediator between God and men, and men and each other. Will you let us be reconcilers in that relationship, operating under the banner of the family of God? Let this be an oasis, a place. So today and this week, we ask you to fight the fight for the unborn, and we ask you to reconcile our relationships and give us faith When the dust flies because cultures collide at North Place Church, give us the grace and the wisdom to shepherd and to lead so that we become the place that you've called us to be. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. These altars are open today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from North Place Church. Feel free to duplicate or to share this message. For more information about North Place Church, visit northplacechurch.com.